Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 172 with Sian Taid of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan, and I am the CEO of Founder Magazine and the host of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a great day wherever you are around the world. It's currently 2 a.m. for me, and I'm batching podcast episodes before I go away for a much-needed holiday uh, this is going to be the first holiday I've ever taken that's uh, non-business related, where I'm just going to recharge, really, really pumped. Uh, so yeah, having a bit of time off, which is exciting, and uh, heading away to uh, more sunny pastures out of Australia. So let's talk about today's guest. Her name's Sian Taid, and uh, she's a, another a fellow Australian founder and entrepreneur, and uh, her, her husband, her brother-in-law, um, they have done some incredible stuff in the Melbourne, even Australian tech scene. They've bootstrapped a $100 million plus, you know, $100 million annual revenue business. Uh, you know, it's just absolutely crazy. You don't really hear of many companies growing to that size or scale unless they raise capital. And uh, these guys have done it in a very, very big way with incredible business. I have interviewed uh, Sian's husband, Collis, uh, in another earlier episode. And uh, yeah, I, I get her take on everything. And uh, she's actually starting a new business as well. So we talk about her starting this new chocolate business uh, in 
you know, nothing to do with Envato, totally separate industry, totally separate from the whole business um, at Envato and just starting it from scratch and her learnings. And they also, she also talks to me about uh, subscription models and and uh, how they're disrupting their own, you know, business, creating new products. And uh, yeah, really great conversation. We learn a lot about how the guys at Envato, how they get, how they get talent. Because in Melbourne, Melbourne, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of talented people, but it's not like the States. Like, for example, I've um, for, forever been looking for a CRO person, a conversion rate optimization specialist here in Melbourne. Just can't seem to find the perfect person to join us for that stuff. So, look, talent is difficult sometimes to find. Um, so, yeah, you do have to try and find... Uh, you know, really great people with a great attitude and try and train them up as well and they can grow into things. So that's one thing I've found and what they've done is incredible, um, you know, to build a company of that scale, tech business with, like I said, you know, Melbourne, there is a bit of talent, but not as much as if, you know, compared to the States. So great story, great conversation. I really do hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did speaking with Sian. And uh, guys, also, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. And if you do want to check out the show notes, we are doing show notes now. You can go to founder.com, F-O-U-N-D-R.com forward slash 172. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump on the show. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Well, I started out as a graphic designer. Um, I was a graphic designer for a relatively short period of time. Um, started starting my own businesses quite early on. Um, so Invato was actually my third business venture, I guess you could say. Um, before that, I had um, a small graphic design business, um, graphic and web design business with Collis, which was quite small. And before that, my own very small jewellery business, which um, did not go well, but um, learned a lot about what not to do in the process. So I came from um, my family are all quite entrepreneurial people, not big business, but just always did their own stuff. So that sort of, you know, um, I think I just sort of grew up thinking that that was a relatively normal thing to do to work for yourself. So I only really worked for someone else for a very short period of time before I went out on my own and started freelancing. And then we hit this point, my husband, Collis, and I had just gotten married and we had one of those what do you want the future look to look like type discussions. And, um, and we talked about the fact that we wanted to start an online business so that we could travel. And at the time, we'd been selling stock ourselves. We'd been selling stock photography and a little bit of stock flash and just generally felt like at the time it was a little bit of a broken system. People who were um, making the product, taking the photos and making the flash to sell, got a very, very small percentage of each sale, like sometimes as little as 10% um, and probably no more than 20%. And that really sort of that bugged us. I My dad's a photographer um, and, you know, at that time was really – engaged in this this thing around you know people receiving sort of fair fair amounts for the work that they do and obviously you know being in the design space that was something people were conscious of as well and we ended up sort of having one of these conversations where we said well what if we started our own stock marketplace 
for Flash. And, um, you know, and, and there was nothing really being done which was geared towards Flash designers. It was a very, very nascent market. Um, a lot of people, um, people understood stock photography, but they really didn't understand how any other type of stock could be used, nor was it being sold at scale. So we decided to just start our own little thing. Um, and, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, it'll take a few weeks. We'll launch it. Um, and then we can just see how it goes on the side. Now, of course, you know, it really didn't work out that way. And um, by the time we were done, it was, you know, five months later, we were deeply in debt. We were living in my parents' basement and working out of their garage. But we created this thing, this thing to release out into the world, which was, um, which was this stock flash marketplace. Um, which we called Flashed In, which in hindsight is a was a terrible name because it gives many people the wrong idea when you say you started a website called Flashed In, but didn't occur to us at the time and um, and launched this thing out into the world. And I think because we were in so deep by then, we hustled. We hustled like absolute crazy. And, you know, all those sort of 101 grassroots, marketing techniques that now people really consider to be well of course you know that's the basis of what you do um to get the word out online there were quite sort of you know not a lot of people were doing that there we had sort of a a job to do because we needed to teach people that they needed stock flash in their life to begin with so you know for um for designers and developers we needed to educate them on that front and we also needed to let the creators of um of these items know that that they could sell with us and that we were a good place to sell and that it was founded by designers and that we cared about them. So we, you know, that that probably took us, you know, a good couple of years to start to sort of really gain traction, but we got a small loyal following from the very beginning, I think because it was clear that sort of we had the the um the best interests of the community of creators at heart and and you know it just grew from there we didn't take any funding we bootstrapped it um and and little by little day by day we just built it up until we hit this point where um where we could sort of expand and we were the first market in a whole bunch of different areas of stock so we were the first people selling website themes. We were the first people selling, you know, After Effects video files. We were the first people probably to sell, you know, stock audio the way that, you know, we do it and in a whole bunch of other spaces. And um, and I think because we were first to market, it ended up being um, very possible to scale without outside funding. And we were just able to bootstrap it all the way and do our absolute best to learn so we could level up as the business progressed. Eleven years later, uh, Invato um, is a around team of about three hundred. We're based in Melbourne, um, in the CBD. Uh, and actually, this evening we're having a celebration because we've delivered over five hundred million dollars of earnings out to our community of creatives so far. Wow, that's incredible! Yeah, so. Interesting story. Uh, what uh, there's a few things I really like about this story is um, first of all, I like that you guys are from Melbourne because because that's where I'm from, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I also like that you guys um, are you still bootstrapped to this day? We are, yeah, still bootstrapped, still self-funded, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, still owned by um, me, my husband, one of our closest friends, and um, and my brother-in-law. 
<laughs> the four of us still. Yeah, wow, that's an incredible story. Um, and you guys are like like massive. Um, so yeah, I, I I really like this story. And um, what I'm really curious around is is talent. You know, a lot of not not all startups are kind of like big, like well, like startups. You know, nine nine figure plus kind of companies. Not all of them now are coming out of Silicon Valley. There's some really, really great ones that are coming from all around the world. But um, talent is scarce. And to, to build a company at the scale that you guys have built, plus also considering the location and also being 100% self-funded without venture funding, um, what is it that you believe you guys are doing that uh, allows you to do that? feel like talent is a little bit when it comes to the talent of founders I always feel like talent is a little bit overrated I think you know you've got to be really driven but I think a lot of that comes from being genuinely passionate about what you do and just really not willing to give up Um, and that to me you know I've met a lot of founders at this stage of my life some of whom have gone on to you know do absolutely massive things and some of whom unfortunately have not and I think that a lot of that sort of, I think, I think there's a lot around grit, grit and determination and, you know, and hustle. Talent is, is really important, but I don't, think, I don't think it's the whole story. I do think as well that there is an element of luck. Like, like it or not, I've had so many people sort of say recently, oh, you know, I, I hate the word luck. Luck doesn't factor into it. But I honestly believe that there is, you know, a massive element of luck in any startup is the is the market with you or is it not? Is a huge competitor going to come along and squash you suddenly or is it not? Like there's just so many unknowns and so many variables. So luck definitely has to be with you. And the fact of the matter is that if we'd gone into an already saturated market, I can guarantee you that we would have needed funding in order to do what we've done. But because we went into a market with a huge amount of real estate up for grabs and we just happened to be the first people who grabbed it, when you're first to market and, you know, and you're able to sort of build up a customer base who are used to using you, who are happy to, using your, to be using your services, it takes the competitor a huge amount of time and money and effort to start to approach you. So I, I think that luck definitely does factor into it in terms of being able to um, get really talented people when we were bootstrapped. um, Look, I think for a long time, nobody knew who we were. Uh, We were sort of, you know, um, we were growing fast as a business, but, you know, the vast majority of our customer base was in the States. We're still 4% Australian customer base to this day. So, you know, for a long time, nobody in Australia really cared much when it came to sort of finding talented people to work with us. They'd be saying, oh, I don't, I don't know who you are. And we couldn't offer above market because we, you know, like so many startups who've taken funding have cash to burn to get these amazing sort of guns, um, these people who, you know, can just, uh, you know, command these incredibly high salaries. Um, so instead we would look for people with great potential, people who were entrepreneurial themselves, people who we knew could take the ball and run with it, who could who could scale quickly, who could scale up what they were doing quickly. And you'd know, all right, I know you're where you are right now, but I can see you have the capacity and the potential to be doing something 10 times as big in a year's time. And for a long time, those are the sort of people that we needed 
to find. And I think those are the people who are incredibly well suited to a startup. Um, and I'm actually doing a new startup right now. And that is exactly the sort of person that I'm looking for. You know, somebody who can sort of, you know, right now they're in their mid twenties and they're just getting started, but you give them a challenge and they just, they think outside the box, they nail it. And, and you can tell that they're sort of, um, that they're thinking about it as their own business and they're taking ownership. Mm. And, um, you know, that's really interesting. So you care less about experience, more around can this person work it out? Are they a strong problem solver? Can they take ownership? Certainly in early startup phases, like at the size that Nevada is now, we're much more in the phase where we need specialists. We need people who, you know, have a really deep understanding in a specific area And they're still entrepreneurial thinkers. They're still thinking about the big pictures, big picture, but they have that experience and that knowledge and that depth in a in a specific area that they can, you know, arrive with us and they know, okay, I can immediately look at this and see 10 ways that I can improve what's going on here. Those are the sorts of people that we look for. And you know, and obviously we also really look for values fit. That's incredibly important to us as an organization. Like it doesn't matter how great you are or what you do if you're an asshole you don't get to work at Envato um that's a you know that that's a that's a reality of it for us as well and you know we we uh, are a very values driven organization so that's a big deal um when it comes to the startup side if I'm doing a, a startup project a startup within Envato that you know I've done that many times or a startup outside of Envato as I'm doing now on the side you look for somebody with those sort of with real entrepreneurial skills who's more of a generalist and a problem solver and a and a collaborative worker. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I'm curious before I, I'd love to know more about your your new venture that you're working on and, and how you've conceived that and how you you're working on that. But I I'd, I'd love to know just just talking around Invado, because um a lot of people may not know the company invited, but they would use your 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 marketplaces like Theme Forest, Graphic River, Audio Jungle, Code Canyon, Photojun. There's quite a few. In the early days, what was your work? How did you divvy up um, who who did what across uh, your brother-in-law, Collis, and and good friend? Look, I think that that, people, that we have complementary skill sets, which definitely helps. And um, you know, I wouldn't say that you know. Uh, you know, Vahid, my brother-in-law, was always extremely strong on the financial side. So, you know, um, would really be diving deep into numbers, looking at trends, those sorts of things. Um, I am much more, you know, interested in marketing, PR, communications, brand positioning, um, those sorts of areas. Collis is just an incredible, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, got this vision for products, you know, absolutely incredible in that front. And June, just you know, our um, our very close friend, he just you know organised things like he took support from being you know Collis and I emailing late into the night um, and crediting everyone because you know we just didn't have time to do anything better to making it a sort of a, a really strong team with a vision and a mission and you know and and sort of scaling. So everybody you know everybody could do. Things that sort of, you know, could there was a lot of overlap there. So, you know, I have a heavy interest in product. I understand how to scale things. I'm interested in that. But we recognise that for each of us, there was an area that was just like, oh, okay, you know, you've 
you're the person who's really got this and, you know, and, and I'm there to support you and I'm giving my input and I'm, you know, sometimes very respectfully like arguing my position and my thoughts. But, you know, we sort of, we found our spot quite naturally. And I think with co-founders, what's incredibly important is that you all need to be aligned on this idea that the relationship always comes first. So I think that if you're not with a co-founder who you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to compromise for the sake of this relationship, then when things get tough, it's going to be, you know, because things will invariably get tough. It's going to be very, very difficult. And I'd say that, you know, it's unusual 11 years in to have four co-founders who are still as closely aligned and as close as we are with no messiness and everybody's still, you know, tight-knit. Um, you know, we go on, you know, family holidays together and stuff like that. And it's, I think it's because we did always prioritise our relationship with, you know, with one another first. And we also put the good of the business first beyond, you know, our own sort of uh, personal, uh, what would be advantageous for us personally. Mm, yeah, I see. And so you have had some uh, hard times then? <laughs> think you know a business is you know it's there's never going to be a business story that goes oh yeah it was all you know it was all roses all the way you know I think um you know financial uh you know pressures where you you might suddenly you know have a surprise or the you know what you thought was going to come in for you know a period of time doesn't or you know, um, there's, you know, conflicting opinions about the way the business should be going or what you should be prioritising or whether you should, you know, close something down or keep it going, invest in it more. There's always sort of, you know, big meaty questions that come up. And, you know, when you're fully invested in it as we are, like, you know, my professional life's work basically up till now is in Vato. So, you know, I've got skin in the game and I care where it goes. And, um, and, and, you know, it's the same for all of us. So there's always going to be periods of time where it's tricky. You know, there's, there's you know, stresses around, you know, when it's growing really fast. Invato, you know, people say, oh, yeah, Invato is an overnight success story. It's not it's 11 years old, but that still feels like a blink of an eye when you're levelling up from being, you know, a 26-year-old designer who's only ever managed one person in her life to, you know, having a 300-person team with, you know, millions of dollars going out, you know, to this community of um, of uh, of creatives. You know, you've got to level up really fast and there's a huge amount of stress and pressure about doing it right and taking advantage of the opportunities and, you know, it's like a roller coaster and you're just sort of trying to hang on. So that's that's hard. That's a, you know, that's a challenging ride. It's amazing. Like I wouldn't give it up for anything. In terms of a crash course in growing fast and seeing how far you can push yourself, there's nothing like it, but it's not easy. Mm. Interesting. Um, another thing that I, I'm really fascinated around what you guys have done with Invado is is a lot of um, very successful startups and companies, they generally um, focus on maybe just one product. Um, you guys have You guys have kind of, you do have the kind of um, same kind of service offering, well, different service offerings, but around the same kind of vertical with the marketplace. But you guys have created, you know, a couple of handfuls of, of marketplaces and, and other offerings. I'm curious, how are you doing that when focus is so extremely key? I think it's a bit of a, I think if, you know, if a company was trying to do 
you know, really diverse things, then then that's when it becomes tricky and you can become unfocused. But the fact of the matter is that we're trying to solve one overarching problem. We want to be a one-stop shop for, you know, for your creative needs. So, you know, whatever you need for your creative project, be you, you know, um, be you agency, um, a designer, a developer, um, or a small business, we want to be where you go to get what you need in order to do your creative project. So as long as we're heading towards that trajectory and we're solving that problem for our customers, then it all aligns very closely. There's still sort of a, um, there's still a tension around what we focus on at any given time. Like right now, we're doing a massive push on Elements, which is our subscription offering. So that's a you know one-stop sort of you get you know everything you might need for your creative project there under a subscription. That requires you know a lot of focus and energy to do it right for the business, which means that you know you've got to go okay, we've got to push out you know, what we might be doing for the marketplaces a little bit. Um, we've got teams working on each thing, you know, on, you know, teams large enough now that there's still people who are focused and have their energy on particular areas. But I think, you know, we're trying to solve one big problem. So it it works. Mm. Is it difficult though? Um, it must be extremely difficult having many different products, right? Like to, because certain people are working on certain products and, like do you do you have crossover between yeah. the yeah between the teams um, much? So, yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of crossover because people who use you know um, people who use the marketplaces will sort of probably want to use elements. People who you know are people might find elements or one of the marketplaces via the Tuts platform, which is our educational platform, um, and then they might want to sort of you know, get something, get something edited or get something made via Studio, which is our sort of um, our platform for custom work. So it all does sort of overlap and interplay. And we've realised that having teams that oversee um, the, the offering overall, so for instance, one overarching marketing team, um, you know, one overarching customer group, which just owns the Envato customers, and whatever they might do, we found that works far better than people siloed into products. Having said that, we still have people who, you know, specialize in specific products because, you know, our products really require people who have a passion for the specific, like, you know, you can't have generalists running theme forests because the theme forest customers and the theme forest sellers, we call them authors, um, they, you know, require that really boutique specialist knowledge it needs to be run and sort of and guided by people who really, really understand that space. Um, so we had a real probably about a year ago now, which was designed to sort of to solve that problem. So you got the specialists, but you also got the people who were sort of, you know, um, had that overarching vision for how they could support the I guess the customer through the whole process and um, and that worked really well. We're in a much stronger position because of it. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because, um, yeah, I was always really curious around that, like whether you have, you know, like for Theme Forest, you have your own team where you've got marketing, you've got product just on Theme Forest and support just on Theme Forest or you've, or you've kind of got that kind of um, dispersed, but it sounds like the dispersed you found works and, and then some specialists on, on certain products. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that seems to be that seems to be the strongest makeup for us at this point in the life of the business. It didn't used to be that way, but that's what we that's what works well now. Gotcha. And in regards to like your leadership team, they 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 would they would help with all like every single product, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's nobody. There's not a sort of a, we call it the nav team. Um, rather than the exec team, um, but on the nav team, there's no sort of there's not like a theme forest person and a and a you know there's there is actually a, a you know somebody who whose sort of purpose is around elements specifically, but um, because that's a real drive to the business and it's really important that someone you know really owns that. But you know there's there's sort of a you know head of um, there there are, there are more heads of areas as opposed to heads of products generally speaking. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I think it's really smart what you guys are doing with that in, in Vato Elements product. I see a lot of companies nowadays, um, if they do have a lot of content or a lot of assets, they tend to look, if they can, to bundle it all together into a subscription. So you can still sell the one-offs, but it it is kind of a no, you, you do try to do kind of have a little bit more of a push for that subscription recurring revenue-based um, predictability in the business. I'm curious around um, what kind of um, experiences we can draw from from you guys trying to kind of, I guess you've, you've built up this massive network of assets, um, tremendous amount, and then looking to bundle that and, and kind of have that subscription service offering as well. What, what challenges have you faced? And, and yeah, I'm really curious around experience you can share there. Um, I Look, we're still in the learning phase. So, you know, we're still sort of figuring out things like, you know, what offering is good enough that we don't experience churn or we minimize churn. You know, we're still sort of in that phase. How do we sort of help people understand how broad the offering is on elements? Um, What else do we bring in to ensure that people really, you know, are getting everything that that they need from us? So, for instance, you know, we recently totally revamped our photography offering um, and actually went the direction of having less but better rather than more because we took the tack of, you know, going for, you know, a huge amount of volume, which, you know, I think serves some purpose, but we realised that actually a stronger, more curated offering served our customer better. That sort of we're still sort of trying to figure out those sort of, you know, those sort of things to really make it make it a great offering. But look, the thing is, I think what's been really interesting is the company, the team overall, there was some concern, you know, and board level as well, that we would be eating into ourselves by creating a subscription when we had, you know, really robust marketplaces. But in fact, that hasn't happened. Uh, what's happened is that the subscription offering has sort of is sitting on top of the sort of of the existing sort of level of marketplace sales so that's been absolutely fascinating to see because uh, you we sort of expected that it would eat into it somewhat because we thought well we're kind of disrupting ourselves here but when it comes down to it you'd rather disrupt yourself than have someone else disrupt you and I think that's the big challenge especially for technology companies to ensure that you're looking at how you can be disruptive disrupted and then disrupt yourselves first yeah and even potentially not always, but if you can kind of disrupt your own business model or cannibalize it if you have to, because that's that's how you stay relevant or, or stay ahead of the game. 
Exactly. If you can see that there's an inevitable competitor who's going to come along and be able to offer something you're not offering, I think a lot of businesses stick their head in the sand and go, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I personally think it's a much smarter route to go, all right, let's, you know, let's do this first because we always want to be at the top of, you know, our particular space and top of this game. And if this looks like it's going to be a more compelling offering, then let's do that. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. Um, okay, well, let's um, switch gears and talk about uh, your new company with, with how much you guys got going on. Uh, why did you decide to do that? I, I think I, you know, what I'm doing now at Envato and what I did at the early days of Envato are two very, very different things. Um, you know, it's really fascinating the stage that Envato is right now and the challenges that we, that we sort of we deal with and the problems that we're trying to solve. Um, and, and I feel like I've had to level up and grow a huge amount in order to be able to sort of to, to stay on top of that. Having said that, what I really found exciting the early days in Vado and what I generally find really exciting about the, um, the early days of a startup is, um, is making. You know, it's so creative. It's so sort of fast moving. You've got to solve all these meaty problems you're sort of it's tangible it's in your hands it's on the ground and um and I love that and you've also got a really high degree of control and um and I find that really exciting really interesting and um and I think I was eager to do that again I realized that it'd been too long since I'd done that um because I'd done some other things whilst uh, you know in Envato and you know a couple of little things outside of Envato but again nothing really meaty where I had sort of skin in the game and um and I, I think I also, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, about, I think because, you know, there's not that many women tech founders, um, I get asked to speak a lot of stuff. And when I do, you know, quite often this question comes up about, well, you know, how are we going to contend with inevitable job loss from automation? And I think the answer that I've come to is, you know, um, I think companies need to become they need to evolve to be supporting communities, not just supporting shareholders. So I think, you know, right now, you know, I think a lot of a lot of companies have gotten on board with this concept that business can be a force for good. But, you know, and in Vato, you know, we're very much a business with purpose and very, very engaged in that. And honestly, the thing that excites me the most about Vato is the impact that it has on our community of sellers. Like even beyond the product, what excites me is, you know, that, there are people out there who, you know, can earn a livelihood doing creative love that they work that they love, and it doesn't matter where they are, what they look like, when they can work. Um, what matters is their talent and their drive and their hustle and their entrepreneurialism, and they can sort of create life that they sort of, you know, um, that suits them and is meaningful for them. And, and I love that about what we do at Envato. But Envato is still a, you know, capitalist business. It's still, you know, a capitalist business. And when it comes down to it, I felt like the logical conclusion to the concept I was talking about around business being a force for good is a social enterprise. And so I started kind of looking around for a concept that I could play with, which was a social enterprise under the hood, which felt like a capitalist business, but operated under the hood like a social enterprise. Pair that with I've had a, you know, um, and this this is always the bit where people go, oh, right, really? Because now now I go off very far away from tech. Um, but I've always had quite a, um, a passion for chocolate and I've made chocolate a lot 
in my spare time, which is a weird thing to do, but it's a you know a hobby of mine, kind of a bit of a chocolate obsessive. And I started to support an organisation. Um, I became an ambassador for the Hunger Project that does um, a lot of work in Africa. And in particular, I started supporting, um, we started supporting a project in Burkina Faso, which is the third poorest country in the world, um, which is bordered by Ghana and the Ivory Coast. And, um, and I was talking to the CEO of the Hunger Project about, you know, what happened um, in Burkina Faso. And they were saying, well, one of the big issues that they have is that effectively um, slavers come from over the border of Ghana and the Ivory Coast um, and, and offer to buy the children of these families um, who, you know, are living in absolute poverty, have no access to family planning. So, um, so you know, often have many, many children and, um, and these children are effectively starving and they'll say, listen, we'll, we'll buy your oldest. They'll come and work for us in the cocoa plantations. You know that they'll be fed and then, you know, you'll have enough money to feed your children for a few more months. And so you've got this awful sort of, you know, cycle happening. And then I started to sort of investigate what it actually looks like for the farming communities. And, you know, some of them, some farming communities, it's working very well. It's very ethically run. But the cocoa trade overall is actually an incredibly dirty business. And I started to think, geez, this is really, this is really sort of broken. Now, pair that with you know, there's some really interesting trends in chocolate making coming out of the States, um, some third wave chocolate making that we're really not seeing here in Australia yet with some really sort of, you know, incredibly high quality chocolate, chocolate bars with, you know, inclusions that feel like they've been made by, you know, chefs, both sort of, you know, um, fig and blue cheese dark chocolate, which is just absolutely incredible, or uh, um, chai chili, cinnamon, caramel, um, milk chocolate, or, uh, you know, lychee and mint um, and green tea white chocolate. And we're just not really seeing it in Australia. And if it, if it does come, it's got a massively long shelf life and it's just not where it should be. And I thought, well, usually it takes about three years to food, for food trends to come to Australia from the US. Somebody's probably going to do this within the next few years why don't I try <laughs> and then make it a social enterprise under the hood? So, um, so yeah, it's called Hey Tiger and it's launching in November. Um, and, uh, and I'm, as you can probably tell, very, very excited about it. I have no idea how it's going to go because it's a startup and there's so much I don't know, but, um, but I think it could be really interesting and I, yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and I really, I think it's a, it's awesome to have that, that element of social good, uh, as part of it. So kind of like Tom shoes model would be a good example, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, we're not going to probably the marketing probably won't be focused on the social enterprise element. It will just be focused on it being, you know, really delicious, innovative chocolate. Um, I think, you know, like a sort of, you know, you know what gelato Messina did for gelato, that's the chocolate. That's what we're shooting for. So yeah, we're in the um, the we've, we've got a studio in North Melbourne where we're developing all these flavors. They're being tested at the moment. We're working on getting the the branding just right. Um, wanting to launch with a big PR push. Um, focus on online sales and gifting with pop ups to begin with, and then eventually, hopefully, its own store. But there's just so much I still don't know about um, about retail space. Like I know nothing about retail space. So I'm trying to learn by, you know, by doing some pop-ups and getting our head around what that looks like. Online sales, I understand, but physical space, 
no idea. <laughs> so it's been fascinating because there's just so much I don't know about this space, like physical inventory. How do you do that? Yeah, it's really fun to have, you know, some meaty stuff that I'm trying to wrap my head around again. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I uh, definitely um, feel your excitement on this project because, um, yeah, I, I, I've done the similar thing. Like we've, we've found it, we've been all digital products and now within the company we're starting to produce a lot of physical products and then also I'm helping my girlfriend with a physical product as well and it's really fun just doing something different out of digital. Yeah, I, there's something about physical product you hold in your hands and I think because for Envato for so long, you know, you talk, people say, what do you do at parties? And you start to explain it to them and you can just see the moment their eyes glaze over. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are digital goods? <laughs> and so to be actually be able to say, oh, it's chocolate and this is what it looks like. Isn't it beautiful? And they go, oh, I get that. That is really fun. Yeah, no, I agree. There's something fun about physical products. I'm, I'm really enjoying playing around with those as well. And you can use the skills that you've learned from online to, to really grow fast, I believe, as well. That's what I'm finding as well. Yeah. What sort of thing are you making? Oh, so for, for Founder, you know, we, we, we produce digital products like, you know, magazines, yeah. courses, blog content, you know, memberships, et cetera. But then, um, we're, you know, we're starting to print the magazines now. And then we also did like a physical coffee table book that we crowdfunded via Kickstarter. And then for my girlfriend, oh, um, we, we, we're, we're creating health-based products. So the brand's called Healthish, healthish.com. And uh, the first product is a, is a time-marked water bottle. It's beautifully designed. So I've used kind of my, my passion for design and, and put that into it and then helped with the marketing and stuff. And it was Emily's idea. And it's, yeah, it's doing really well. And it's only been out for a couple of months. Oh, I'm going to check it out. That sounds great. Yeah, check it out. I think, uh, I think you'll want one. It's, it's a good viral type product. So it's right. Health, All right. I'm going to go check it out as soon as we get off this call. Yeah, health, <laughs> I, healthish.com. Got it. Yep. Great. Awesome. But um, we have to work towards wrapping up and uh, a couple of last questions because um, I know you're going to go in a couple of minutes. Uh, a couple of last questions. One, uh, which I'm curious around, are you as scrappy as you were with Invata with this new business? Short answer is no. And I think a lot of, I, I'm still pretty scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but I think, um, I, I think I, I've got two young children now. And I just can't spend, you know, with Envato, I worked absolutely constantly, like just constantly. Um, and I just can't do that anymore. I need to sort of, you know, be there and I want to be there to spend time with my kids. So, you know, I was thinking about this last Sunday, you know, I was like, oh, I probably should be working. But I ended up spending, you know, like three hours playing Uno with my children. And I don't want to give up that time. So that means that I need more help, which means that I hire more people. So, you know, I think if it was the, if this was my first startup, I definitely wouldn't have, you know, hired anybody yet. And at this stage we haven't launched and I've got three people and I'm, I'm seriously considering hiring another. Um, <laughs> so it's not, it's way less scrappy, like not, okay, not scrappy at all, but it's amazing how much developing a physical product costs. Like I was, I've been so surprised by that as opposed to just making something on the internet and putting it up there. That is, you know, that is, it's so much easier to do that on your own than it is to like to actually make a physical product. That's like hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's there's pros and cons of both, right? Yes, there absolutely is. Yeah, but it's 
it's been a, it's been a learning experience. It really has. Mm, awesome. Well, look, um, last question, Cyan. This has been a great conversation. Uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? So uh, I have, I mean, you know, you can check out Envato.com if you just want to see what all our different products are. Um, that's E-N-V-A-T-O.com. Um, for me, look, the only social media I really enjoy using is Instagram, and that's just, you know, Cyan Taid. And, you know, you'll, I, I generally talk a lot about, um, about what I'm working on. And I also do a regular sort of, I guess, video diary thing that goes up on Instagram stories where I talk about sort of the business stuff I'm thinking about at the moment and the problems I'm trying to solve. Because what I kept hearing from people was I really want to know how Hey Tiger's going from a sort of a business development point of view. So I try and be really transparent on there. So that's sort of uh, so I do that um and then yeah there's a, a mailing list if you if you go to hey tiger hey tiger you you can um you can join a mailing list where soon we will be sending out sort of a, a bit of a email newsletter about what's going on with that but not like a product email newsletter but like a this is the business stuff that we're trying to grapple with. This is how we're growing. This is what we're sort of, we're dealing with. And I'm, I'm trying to be really transparent with that because I feel like it's just, I, I, I don't know, I think it's useful. It's, I always find it really useful when I can see sort of under the hood about, you know, what a business is dealing with. It sort of provokes my thinking as a sort of a, as a, as a business person as well. So I'm trying to do that. Mm, awesome. Well, look, um, thank you so much for your time. This has been an awesome interview and conversation. I just uh, really appreciate it. No, thank you, Nathan. It was really fun talking to you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.